Hey folks, Zach Ostrin here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Starts. Uh, it's Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. This is Mind Your Banners. He is Mike Nyslake. I'm Zach Osterman. Um, and Mike, uh, I know this is, well, you you are no stranger to Big Ten basketball. Um, this will be your first time immersed, I, I suppose, in uh, the wonderful world of Indiana basketball. But the season, at least in some form, is very nearly upon us. Indiana's first exhibition game Sunday. Uh, 1 p.m., if I'm not mistaken, in Assembly Hall. Um, you were, I want to start here, you were at uh, Basketball Media Day. Uh, we didn't, I didn't get a chance to make it up, but you were at Basketball Media Day. I know we talked to them, obviously, at their team media day. It's always a little bit more interesting to kind of, you know, see Indiana in that setting, maybe get a feel for just the way the rest of the conference views Indiana. I, you know, I don't expect anybody to ever have any, you know, penetrating insights off media day, those things kind of are what they are, but just what was your general takeaway from, you know, maybe Indiana and again, more of a conference wide setting sort of gearing up for the season. Yeah. I don't not, I'm not sure people know what to make of them. You know, I, I think that, that, you know, with, with all the just sort of turnover they've had and, and, you know, what this roster looks like, I think they're just sort of in sort of in the middle of the pack and, um, you know, not really thought of as a team that's going to necessarily bottom out, but not necessarily a team that's in, in, in the sort of, uh, top tier that's going to be competing for a big 10 title this year. Um, and I know obviously Mike Woodson says that's the goal, but, um, you know, obviously I think they went under the radar probably deservedly. So, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, where the interest level was, where, you know, sort of what people are curious about um you know at, at the event it feels like more and more we've gotten to this place where because of the portal because of the nature of player movement it feels like it is harder to group the middle group and rank the middle of the conference annually that there's always two or three teams you know this year i think it's purdue it's it's Michigan State. It's maybe to some extent, if you believe in Illinois with Terrence Shannon, you know, the kind of a top two, top three. There's always one or two teams, not trying to be too flippant, but Minnesota, we're all looking at you, that we can kind of say, you know, it would be a surprise if they're not, you know, just kind of trying to stay out of the cellar a little bit most of the season. But I mean, I looked at my preseason ballot and I just sort of, you know, weighing up Ohio State versus Iowa versus Michigan versus Indiana versus Maryland versus Wisconsin, even even versus Nebraska or Northwestern. It's just so hard to kind of figure out where these pieces fit anymore because there are so many different philosophies for roster building. And there are, you know, there are going to be programs every single year like Indiana this year, um, you know, like like uh, Illinois a little bit last year, like. Ohio State a little bit last year, and Indiana fans may not like those comparisons, but um, that are just going to, you know, see some pretty dramatic sort of reshaping of their roster year on year. And I think Indiana is a good example of it's almost like you just kind of have to you have to average out the good and the bad, and and sort of say, well, it's hard, you know, as, as you said, sort of under the under the radar a little bit. It's it's hard to see this team given all the turnover. All of what's left, you know, most teams don't get better for losing their, you know, the third all-time leading scorer in program history. Um, 
it's hard to see this team genuinely competing in or around the top of the conference. On the other hand, we've seen this team, you know, pretty much just above 500 or right around 500 in conference play the last two years. Mike Woodson has proven he can be particularly effective at home. Indiana's won a lot of really important home games in the last two seasons. And you look at the overall talent level, Xavier Johnson, Malik Renew, Trey Galloway, McKenzie, and Baco Colo wear a, a strong bench. And you just sort of feel like, again, it's like it's almost like a math equation where you, you stick the good and the bad in, you divide by two. And Indiana just sort of feels like one of those teams that lands, you know, somewhere six to eight, six to nine in your conference. You, you, you just you just kind of assume yeah. that that's where they fit. And one of the things I talked to some uh, other coaches about, and I'm going to write this up before the season, was when you have a rear like this, a lot of it falls on coaching that you have to be patient. You have to be um, Wisconsin coach said, you know, creative in the sense that like, you know, if you see something that you didn't really expect work, um, you know, push lean into it. Like, and those things are going to come up in a year uh, where you have so many sort of um, different pieces and sort of kind of the, the approach uh, that some of the coaches, you know, took to those years where they've had, uh, such heavy roster turnover. Um, patience was, I think, the word I heard the most um, because they said, you know, it is hard um, when you have just all those new pieces and, and how to fit them together and um, kind of the growing pains that you go to. Um, so I think a lot of it's going to be on Mike Woodson. and This will be a good test for him in terms of at the collegiate level, uh, what he can do to sort of, um, you know, I, I think you've talked a lot about this and are going to write about it, kind of build a team in his own image that he's not stuck with sort of the roster he came in with um, and the talent and sort of building around that now that he's building it around himself and his philosophy and his um, what he wants to do on the offensive defensive end because um, of how he put the roster together. Yeah, I wrote the shameless plug. If, if you're listening to this starting Thursday, um, we should have something on the website by now. Um, IndyStore.com slash sports or HeraldTimesOnline.com if, if the HD picks it up too. Um, just about kind of trying to draw some lines between, you know, Mike Woodson's time in the NBA. And we've talked about this. We've written about this. He's talked about this. I mean, geez, he, you know, literally was all but turning the page himself in the post-Miami press conference back in March when he was talking about, well, you know, I've never built a team around a player like Trace Jackson Davis. I was never going to ignore Trace. I was never going to not use him that way. But that's not really, you know, being that post-up heavy is – is not my philosophy offensively. It's not really what I've done. Um, you know, trying to draw some comparisons to the teams he had in New York and, and particularly Atlanta, where he was very much kind of foundational to building that team up from, you know, almost its beginnings. Versatile players, length, athleticism, interchangeability. Um, you know, obviously point guard, I think is always going to be its own thing for him. Like it is for most coaches that, that, that player's got just a different set of responsibilities, going to coach him a little differently. He's always said he's going to be harder on that player, but you know, when you look at a team that maybe goes from more defined roles, especially when you talk about like three, four, five Miller cop, race Thompson, trace Jackson Davis to a team where, for example, if you're starting McKenzie and Baco Malik renew Kalel Ware. Well, each of those guys can probably score on you at different levels, can probably be used in different ways within the offense. And, you know, you can – it's really – everybody – it's really easy to talk about everybody like they're good in the preseason, but it does feel like there's a um, – there's a real sort of 
reflection now of Woodson, you know, I don't want to say getting the team, build the team he wants, because listen, especially when you're in college, yes, you have the portal and then I on all this guys are always going to be transient. If you, if you have a player that fits, you can't go give them a bigger contract. They're just going to go to the NBA if they're good enough. Um, it's, it's not like being in the NBA where you can draft a rookie and develop him. And by the time he's ready for his extension, you can say, yes, he's a centerpiece for us and we're going to keep him around for the next five years. Um, but a team that maybe reflects more of sort of those values that Woodson would have, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know what the word would be, just sort of overlaid onto his Atlanta teams and his and his New York teams. Not to not to give your story away. Did you find is, is were his New York teams different just because of the Carmelo of it all? Like like you said, Atlanta was sort of the yeah. I, I spent so I got I talked to Speedy Claxton among other people who's with him in Atlanta, and and so I got more insight into the Atlanta side. I think the other thing about Atlanta is he was just head coach there longer. And whereas, you know, he takes over in New York and I think he's looking for some of those same things. First of all, I think, you know, he has said this and I think he's probably, this is probably fair. I think some of his concepts were probably more widely acknowledged and appreciated by the time he takes over in New York, as opposed to Atlanta when everybody's like, what are you doing? Just drafting all these forwards. Like what, what, why is it, why is everybody on your team six, six to six, nine, the and league matched up with of, him at that point. But we, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, why are you switching so much on defense? And why are you telling Josh Smith he can guard point guards and that kind of stuff? But the other thing was, I mean, the Hawks hired him at the beginning of a rebuild. And, and he was, you know, he had his hands in, you know, just sort of saying like, you know, personnel decisions, young players, how we're going to develop them what we're going to do with them and all that. Whereas with New York, obviously he was there, you know, he was head coach for a shorter period of time. As you said, he inherits a roster that's already kind of got a bit of an established hierarchy to it. Um, but it was, it was particularly interesting to, to kind of dig into his time in Atlanta, because again, that was when maybe that was not only maybe the time when he had more time to build a team, but also that was his first head coaching job. So you probably also kind of see the evolution of the way he, you know, his own thoughts on roster building kind of as his, as his time wears on there. That's all I got. And do you, was that, I thought that was a continuing thought. Like you, you just stopped. You, you, you were done. That was it. <laughs> I ran into a sentence. Um, well, when you look at this team, I mean, I think a good question is, as we kind of preview things, what is, what, I mean, do you feel like it's uh, going to come down to two, you know, one or two players developing? Like, I, I mean, is this, be sort of that kind of team or what do you kind of view as the keys sort of to you know i don't know what their ceiling is like that i don't think they're going to compete for a, a big 10 title but i mean i think tournament team obviously is the, is the goal but um to be sort of a, a a little bit of a higher seed what do you think has to happen for them um to be successful i mean i, I think it is to some extent like where the system meets the talent um and like there's always you know, I mean, Woodson keeps bringing up Caleb Banks and CJ Gunn as an example, and he keeps talking about those two as guys that he needs to step into larger roles as sophomores. And that's interesting to me because I think when you, you know, if you pulled the average IU fan, you said, who are like the three most, who are the players, your three players you're most interested in ahead of this season? They'd probably they tell probably you. Like, wouldn't be in like the top five, yeah. Yeah, McKenzie and Baco, Xavier Johnson, Kalel Ware, you know, Renew, yeah. Yeah, Malik Renew, probably Trey Galloway. Probably you're starting basically what is, is I, I think we can probably guess with a relative degree of certainty is Indiana's 
starting five if, if they're healthy on, on the opening night. Um, but it's interesting to me, Woodson keeps bringing those two up, you know, because I think that in different ways, you know, Gunn with his, his shot-making ability and his wingspan, his length, and Banks just with the versatility. Um, I've told this story many, many times, but I think it's it, it has always felt really sort of telling of Caleb Banks. He transferred high schools before his junior year, and, and his, his high school coach uh, that he transferred in to play for had coached all kinds of Division One prospects. He'd, he'd been head coach for like 30, 25, 30 years in the Atlanta area. And Banks was sitting in his office near the beginning of his junior year, and he was kind of fretting, like, Coach, I don't have any offers. You know, I'm worried about I don't have any offers. And and his coach was just like, you really don't have any idea how good you are. Like, you're sitting here worried about offers. Like, you have no idea how good you are, do you? Like, you're, you're, they're going to come. You're going to be fine. Trust me. You know, can you even see your ceiling right now? Um, you know, Banks is another one of those players that I think Indiana's got high hopes for in terms of maybe him developing into that sort of player. Um, but I think it's it's as much about where the system meets those players because I think the, the other part of this is if you take Mike Woodson at his word, and he's, you know, like any coach, he'll obfuscate and he'll, he'll prevaricate or whatever, but, um, you know. So should we ask him who Indiana's starting quarterback is? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but, but the point is he's, he, he tends to be a little more open and honest than most. And he'll, you know, if we take him at his word, Indiana's going to look a lot different, particularly offensively this year. Um, you know, big men, I think, are going to have a lot more uh, a lot more room to pick and pop. I think he's going to want Indiana to break more, like more, more purposefully and maybe a little bit more, you know, take a few more risks on the break because Indiana is so long and so athletic that, you know, it's not just that you're out in transition. It's also, well, if you're out in transition and over here is six, eight lottery pick and over here is, you know, six, five senior, and you've got the ball in the hands of your six year point guard, you know, you should back yourself to basically just say, Hey, let's get to the rim. And worst, worst comes to worst, we'll probably get fouled because we have the physical advantages and the experience advantages here. Anyway, he even used the Z word. And I know, listen, you know, we, we we live in a conference where Mike Izzo or Mike Izzo, Mike Izzo, Tom, Tom Izzo's alter ego, Mike Izzo. Um, we live in a world where Tom Izzo uses uh, promises that Michigan State may play a little zone every September and then never does. So I always take coaches, you know, man to man coaches. I always take any sort of suggestion of zone with a grain of salt. But he even said to me, Indiana might play a little some zone this year. Just because he thinks that they can, they're going to be so long and athletic that, that his words were, we can junk it up a little bit defensively and do some different things. And and he said that in the context of an answer about pressing more. And it's you know I think generally it's easier to it's easier to play zone out of a press than play man out of a press because as the press sort of compresses back toward the half court, you can just fall into a zone rather than having to sort of make order out of chaos and everybody find their man and mark up quickly. So my point is. Um, I think that there's a lot of sort of, I don't want to say unpolished diamonds. That's a, a cheesy cliche. And I think that there's, you know, I, I think it's probably doing a disservice to where the skill levels are of a number of these guys, but it's kind of this, this question of like, where do the mountain and Muhammad meet between Woodson's system and what he's going to ask this very different team to do perhaps very differently 
than what we saw the last two years. And then obviously also, you know, where some of these guys are in terms of does, does Trey Galloway have a, another level to go up? Does, you know, how much has Malik Renew developed those kinds of things? Well, yeah, I think you kind of hit it, you know, when you talk about the, the front court, just because you have so many, you know, questions, obviously with, you know, Xavier, I think he gives you kind of a base and, you know, somebody to lean on uh, at golf. But in terms of the front court, I mean, it's all guys that have something to prove. I think Wares is just a fascinating story just because, I mean, if you go look back and look at those quotes, uh, you know, at Oregon, um, in terms of, uh, you know, Dana Altman, you know, calling him out. I mean, you rarely see that from a, from a coach. Um, and, you know, this kid was a, a lottery pick projected before he got to college and then has sort of fallen off the map. And I know he's got to rebuild his reputation, but. You know, it's not really an easy thing to do, and and I don't know how many times we've seen that um, sort of career path. Um, you know, sort of, you know, that second chance right away and have it, you know, taking off. I mean, so he's going to be under some pressure because he wants to be another one and done. But I find that story fascinating just because you don't see a coach just lambast a player in the media. I mean, usually they avoid that at all costs. You know, and so then obviously McKenzie being the freshman and and having. Um, a lot of pressure and uh, to, to, to be an immediate sort of impact player, not even just at Indiana, but on like the level of the Big Ten. I mean, I think that front court could see some wild swings this year in terms of play, so consistency. And like you said, it's going to be sort of like a key part on both sides of the ball um, of what their identity will be and what they want to do. Um, but it's going to be hard just because, like you said, I mean, you know, where played like for a week. There was like he was like 30 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game in playing, you know, some production and then just like didn't play the rest of the season any meaningful minutes. And so kind of wild when um, you know, he's gonna be just the the day one starter for Mike Woodson and they're gonna rely on him a lot. I also think it's interesting, you know, kind of the, the turnabout of that to hear McKenzie and Baco say, I want to be one and done. And to hear Kalel both, of them, both of them are saying that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean where will be two and done, done, but yeah, no, yeah. Be one and done in Indiana. I don't think they say that if their coach isn't isn't about embracing that to them. Like I think you know, players always sort of tend to, you know, parrot whatever their coach kind of says. Whether it's you know some cliche, oh, we want him to unpack his bags, or you know, we want people who want to be here. Got I'm not, you know, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world for a guy to just say, well, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about getting better every day. And of course, every basketball player would love to play in the NBA, but I know that. You know, I, I've just got to worry about being the best player I can be for Indiana, and that sort of thing will work itself out. It's interesting to me the extent to which it, it feels like Indiana is comfortable talking about these ambitions, whether it's player-to-player ambitions, whether it's, you know, and, and this is nothing new. Um, it's It's been this way since Mike Woodson's first day in the job, whether it's kind of this idea of like, listen, no, the the goal here is a Big Ten title and a national title, and that's that's not necessarily like they're promising it every year. It's more them sort of saying, like, this is what we aim for. And we don't, and we make no apology for that. And, you know, that's, that's the standard by which we measure ourselves. It's like, I, I'm not, I don't know if it will work, but I think it's a healthy way, especially in a time period when you are bringing in guys who are probably thinking more short term, whether it's the way Indiana has recruited in recent years or just the portal and the fact that some, you know, you're going to go get a guy who may only have one or two years left to play. I think it's a healthy, it's a refreshing sort of honesty and it's possibly a healthy way of just letting everybody sort of come to the table 
with everything out in the open and and nobody sort of having a, I don't know, I don't say a hidden agenda, but everybody just sort of saying, listen, these are our personal goals. This is how they fit into the larger goal. And we're not afraid to talk about that. Well, yeah, it sort of it reminds me just of, you know, when you're talking about um, professional level sort of approach, like an Alabama football where it's like, well, if you're good, you're going to be gone and, you know, you're going to play and, you know, just kind of treating these guys like um, future pros, essentially, um, that and and sort of acknowledging that, that this is the process. And so I think it's a healthy approach um, and it obviously makes sense, given Mike, Mike Woodson's background as an NBA coach, that he this is how he's going to sort of approach it you know he knows the goals of all these kids um and you know i think you treat them differently in sort of the margins but in terms of the overall um you know goals of a roster i mean it's the same at the nba level and i think that's kind of how i approached and i think it's healthy um because like you said these guys that's where they're at i mean especially if you're going to recruit like you said at that seat of the table this is this is what you get on the other hand i, I you know i've said this too i think you know, it's kind of some of the points you've made about a remade roster and trying to figure out where guys are. I wouldn't be shocked if it's not the prettiest November, December for Indiana. <laughs> like I, I and and um, you know, it's it's funny, like again, I, I I reference Izzo here. Every year, college basketball media seems to get locked in the same cycle, which is that they say, Good for Tom Izzo. He's scheduled tough. He put a you know he, he he's not shying away in November and December. He's going to be playing Duke. He's going to be playing Kansas. He's going to be playing North Carolina. Michigan State's going to be in Maui. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And then Michigan State gets to Christmas and they're like eight and four. And college basketball media says, "Is Mike or is Mike Izzo? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Where's this coming from? Is is Tom Izzo losing it at Michigan State? Is this Michigan State team?" Uh, is this a down year for Izzo? Is this the year that the NCAA tournament streak finally ends? And then inevitably, by March, they're a top five seed in the Big Ten tournament. They're comfortably in the NCAA tournament, and they wind up in the Sweet 16. And I'm not saying that's the, 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 the course of travel for Indiana necessarily. But what I am saying is I think a lot of people give – Izzo credit for scheduling the way he does because, frankly, we just want to see good college basketball games in November and December. I think Izzo schedules the way he does because he thinks, I would rather see all the warts before Christmas because I'm not here to be number one at Christmas. I'm, you know, Nobody ever won a national championship on New Year's Day. And I think that – I don't know if Mike Woodson thinks about it quite the same way, but I think one of the benefits of Mike Woodson's scheduling approach is – when you have a team like this, I, I do suspect we're going to see some warts early on from Indiana. But the flip side is Indiana is going to get a very real look at what it is, where it needs to, where it's good, and where it needs to improve long before it gets to the meat of its Big Ten schedule. And I think that's no bad thing. I think I think it helped them last year, to be honest. And obviously, last year's different dynamic, that three-game losing streak in January, and obviously losing Xavier Johnson. But I, I think it helped them last season to to just sort of have to confront you know, some of what they were bad at, frankly, very early in the, in the process. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think one thing that Indiana will have to be careful of just because they're sort of, I think, starting this out is that is those teams generally have a little more depth. Um, um, and so, you know, you talk about injury to, to Xavier. I mean, you know, a setback like that this season, 
you know, would be sort of more detrimental than a team like Michigan State, where it has some more, uh, I think, you know, one through 10, probably a better, uh, you know, total roster, obviously, um, you know, these last what, 50, 20 years than, than Indiana's had as they kind of start out sort of uh, building this thing. So I think that's the challenge. Like when you start out the, the harder schedule, um, you, you know, like this, I think it's going to be good for this team and building this team, but at the same time, um, you know, will be tough on them. They will get a little worn down. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, like you said, when you come out of it in January, you do get a little more space in between those games with the holidays. But as they get back into the, the real start of the Big Ten schedule, um, can they overcome some of that? And are they healthy enough? Because I, I think injuries would um, really hurt this team where Michigan State you know, has been pretty lucky injury-wise. I can't even remember like the last time they've had like a significant guy go down for a long time. Um, but um, has more depth than I think Indiana does at this point. I mean, as, as they kind of build this thing. The one thing I will say, too, I mean, just the kind of question of, of testing yourself. I mean, Indiana's got a um, – starting November 19th, Indiana will play UConn and then one more game in New York. They'll play Harvard in uh, in Indianapolis, which, I mean, they should win that game, but Harvard is, is one of those programs that at least kind of knows what it's about and – you know, is, is probably going to see that game as a free hit, understandably. Then they host Maryland. Then they're at Michigan. Then Auburn on a neutral floor. Then Kansas at home. I would argue there's no stretch, at least on paper, because we don't know what the Big Ten's going to look like, you know, in a, in a hard and fast way until we actually get into the season. But at least on paper, I would argue there's no stretch of the Big Ten schedule that's that hard. I don't like that. I don't think there's a month of their Big Ten schedule as it's currently constituted, what we understand of it right now, that is as difficult as that stretch of UConn plus one in New York, Harvard and Indy, the two Big Ten games, which, you know, Indiana's had years where, like, it's like, you know, vintage Northwestern, vintage Penn State, not to be flippant, but you understand what I'm saying. That's your two non-conference – or that's your two conference games in December. That is a that is a, a higher-profile pair of matchups for those two Big Ten December games than Indiana has normally gotten in the past. Then Auburn – than Kansas. I also think, I mean, you know, to your point, and basketball is not football, um, but you talk about physical wear and tear, also possibly mental wear and tear. You know, the other part of this is, you know, can you, could you just find your way to a couple of big scalps there? Beat can, you know, Auburn and Kansas, or, you know, maybe you, you manage to win one or both of those first big 10 games and then Kansas or, or Auburn. Just give yourself enough, stay healthy, as you said, and give yourself enough to feel like you've got that platform. You've you've maybe endured some struggles, but you feel like you've also got that platform to really carry into Big Ten play. When again, I would argue, you know, a six seven game stretch. I don't know if there's one quite so difficult at any point in the Big Ten season is is that for Indiana. Yeah, the worst case scenario would be going literally would be over. But in terms of just like for like you said, the mental part of it where you've got a team that has all these uh young faces that you're going to be relying on um and you're trying to preach point to progress and you're trying to point to uh things that worked and and things we can build on and then you know if you do stumble each each time it is harder to come back and sort of be ready so i think that'd be the worst case. but i can't imagine you know i, I know the competition's uh, pretty good over that stretch, but th they'll have one, right? I mean, they'll get one, and then I think that's the one, you know, 
they'll be able to point to you and say, this is what the team we want to be. Um, or at least that's what, obviously I think with Mike Wilson's hoping, you know, at least I don't play anywhere, um, but you, you want to win some of those games. And it, it is going to be tough, but um, like you said, with a team that's, um, you know, you, like you said, you were much mentally trying to get out of that stretch if, if you, you know, everything goes wrong. But I mean, that's literally the worst case scenario. I guess just, I mean, it's cliche, but to round this off and then we'll do a little football before we wrap up. Um, you know what, I mean, what, what are the things that you're looking at first, even in some of these, obviously exhibitions, even in some of these home non-conference games that Indiana should probably win comfortably, um, or whether it's players, whether it's system, whether it's just whatever it is, I mean, between what we already knew of this team, the stuff that we've learned through the preseason, you know, whatever, what you all, what you were able to observe and sort of glean from Big Ten Media Day. I mean, are there like some things at the top of the list that you're sort of like, I'm curious to try and learn this first, I guess, about this team? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think you mentioned it, like, you can kind of guess the starters, right? But in terms of like, what's the next group? Like, I mean, who does he rely on off the bench? Um, you know, does a guy like Xavier just going to be a, a guy that, averages tons of minutes because they can't replace them is there a guy like that on the on the team you know I, I think just kind of rotations um guys that they trust off the bench and then is there a guy that they just can't get off the floor because they're worried that they can't replace his production or sort of what he brings Xavier would seem to be the guy that might fall into that category um and, and obviously a veteran who could probably handle that more um but just in terms of like what's that second group like uh, how 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 much trust does he have in them? And then what can they do? I mean, I, I, you know, because you can kind of see the upside of that that starting five, right? I mean, you see that upside of that front court right out the gate. You know, you talked about their length and size. Where and McKenzie next to each other might cover half the court, um, standing, standing fingertip to fingertip. Um, but what's the what's the upside of that second group? I mean, you got kind of like a guy like Peyton Sparks who they want to do the dirty work. Um, you know, you, you got some guys like that, but who do they trust? Um, I think will be a big, big deal. And the other thing I'm curious about, you know, everybody I think is going to have their eyes on um, that UConn game. It's it's the fourth game of the season. Um, I mean, you look at, I mean, Kim Palm numbers are not, are not the Bible, but you've got a right state team that uh, has been, you know, pretty consistently competitive. Scott Nagy had him in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. Um, they've been 500 or better every single in, in the horizon league, every single year that he's been there last year was actually, I think the only year that they didn't finish above 500 in his tenure. There are one thirty. what are they? One thirty-two in Ken Palm. And then you've got Florida Gulf coast, which I think is, is obviously a little bit more famous for uh, Andy Enfield's time there, but you know, Pat Chambers knows the big 10. Well, um, at one point last year, they were 13 and four before things kind of, bottomed out in conference play, but that was Chambers' first season. They're 147 in Ken Palm. So quietly, I think as much as we talk about that that stretch, you know, Indiana should win those games, but, you know, those are not – those are games where if you are not sharp and at it, those teams will give you a little trouble. They, they will remain a, a thorn in your side um, more regularly than, you know, or, or longer term or, or, you know, within a game. Um, than the average sort of guarantee game at home. So I'm curious to see Indiana in those two games even before they go to New York. 
Uh, let's do just like a couple minutes on football. I don't want to ignore it, but I know that probably people aren't eager to talk about it either. Uh, Indiana loses 31-14 against Rutgers at home last weekend. They're at Penn State this weekend. They're a heavy underdog. They'll be a heavy underdog against Wisconsin, I suspect, next week. Um, it's really hard to, to see where this team kind of finds the confidence to stand itself back up again at this point. Um, it felt like Rutgers was a, a game they needed to win. And to lose it the way they did, I think felt, you know, no matter what anybody says, it, it it felt visibly discouraging for them to not really even be able to rally enough to make that a competitive game in the second half. I mean, Indiana, just, just to be exact, is a 32.5 point underdog. And the over-under is 45 and a half. So the expectation is they won't even score two to- two touchdowns. Um, and that's kind of where they're at right now. Um, am I muted? Oh, it was weird. Um, so I was muted, but you weren't. Okay, that was weird. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, things in disarray. Um, you know what's good, right? I mean, the special teams was the, the worst it's been all season. Um, you know, the offense you can't get anything going because you can't really settle on a quarterback. Your quarterback's only in really week two of his week three of his career, and defensively, you just don't have the talent one through 11 to sort of be able to stop anybody. I mean, Rutgers was as one dimensional of a team as you'll ever face. Um, and they just, uh, for lack of the word, dominated. I, I was curious as to what you thought, uh, you know, when you get to a point and the coach is that, you know, maybe facing the end, that last press conference after the game, Tom Allen seemed like he was not at peace, but maybe knew that things are, the roads is getting short here for, for, for yeah, I mean, I, obviously, there's the wider question of, of, you know, what Indiana wants long term. And, you know, I think that there will be we, we will certainly there will be questions to ask in all likelihood of Scott Dolson about sort of his vision for the program going forward and, and where Tom Allen fits into that. I, I don't think any of those decisions have been made yet. Um, you know, I mean, listen, it, it the one thing I would say and and um I think I told you the story on Saturday, but I remember covering Charlie Weiss's last season at Notre Dame. And when Weiss had taken the Notre Dame job, he came in and one of his first press conferences said six and six isn't good enough for Notre Dame. And going into the last week of the season, Notre Dame was six and five. They were a heavy underdog uh, on the road against Jim Harbaugh, Stanford. Everyone kind of knew they were going to lose that game. That might've even been Andrew Luck's first season as starting quarterback at Stanford. And, um, one of the the longest tenured members of the Notre Dame press corps just got the microphone and said, Charlie, you know, you said, you said six and six wasn't good enough for Notre Dame. If you lose Saturday, you'll finish six and six. Would you understand people who feel that, that that's not good enough now? And, and Charlie said, yeah, I, I would, you know, basically he just said, I, I, I acknowledge what you're saying and I won't argue with it. Um, you know, obviously Indiana is not Notre Dame. I'm not making that comparison, but I don't think anybody can get around two and 20 in your last 22 big 10 games, you know, and, and, well, and I think the lack of just the overall lack of progress, right. In the roster. Well, and, no- and, and just the sense that, um, you know, even in the two, five and seven years for Tom Allen, you, you could see what the idea was, you know, here's where we're going to go get players. And this is the kind of, you know, these are the kinds of talents we're looking for uh, on the offensive line or in the secondary or, you know, obviously getting Michael Penix, even before we saw Michael Penix, you know, as a starter, 
you could see, okay, this this is a quarterback who's different. He's got a different you know dynamic to him, different dimension to him. There was kind of this, you could see the plan and you could see how it worked, even if it wasn't necessarily working yet. You could see, okay, but that makes sense. Like that, that is something that could, you know, if, if all goes according to Hoyle, that will work. And it doesn't feel like Indiana's found that basically since having to kind of take apart that team that was so good from 2018 to 2020, particularly 2019 and 2020, as that team has kind of trickled out of the program via the draft, attrition, transfer, whatever, you know, it doesn't feel like whatever the plan to kind of replace that group has been has ever really taken shape. And, you know, at least in any meaningful way that you could point to and say, well, this is what Indiana's trying to do. And, and that's, that can, that, that's schematic. That's in roster building. It's in a lot of different ways. I just think it's, you know, it's, I'm not trying to sound like I'm firing Tom Allen on my podcast. Cause that's, that's not, or our podcast. I should say, that's not what I'm trying to do here. What I am trying to do is say, I don't think anyone is, is, you know, is numb to the realities ultimately that are facing, you know, that that program is kind of staring down the barrel of at this point. Yeah. I mean, you said, I mean, that's, that's what it is. Right. And I mean, it doesn't get, I mean, they got after this one, I mean, it's teams that they should be competing against too. And that was, I think that the, the disheartening part against Rutgers is where the talent level is not a huge disparity. Like it is against a Penn state or Michigan, um, and Rutgers is celebrating, you know, bowl bowl eligibility and, and doing it in impressive fashion. And so that's, I think, where you say, like, what's what do you point to and say, we feel good about this? Uh, and if you're an Indiana fan or an, an administrator or, or within the program, and it's just it's just not there right now. We'll leave it there. Uh, Indiana, Penn State Saturday. Who they, they got? Do they play? They play you, Indy, first, right? In the exhibition season and then Marion. I'm not losing my yes. mind. Yeah. So Indiana, U Indian basketball Sunday. Women's basketball obviously also gets fired up soon. I think they had a closed door scrimmage this week. Um, but we'll finish up there for now for the Indianapolis Star, the Blue General Times, Mike Nislick. I'm Zach Osterman. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.